Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Our reading this morning uh, can be found on page 1160 of the Bibles in the church. That's page 1160. And we'll be reading 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 to 10. Chapter 5, beginning to read at verse 1. Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now it is God who has made us for this very purpose and has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due to him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Let's, let's pray together as we stand. Uh, Lord God, we do indeed praise you. Uh, you are holy and mighty and worthy of our praise. And we long to follow you. And we long now as you speak to us this a word that brings life, uh, that we would indeed listen, uh, that we would love what we hear, that we would obey what we hear. And so, Father, change us as you speak, uh, that we may be like your Son, and we pray this for his name's sake. Amen. Well, please take a seat. And it's, uh, it's worth turning in your Bibles uh, back to uh, 2 Corinthians 5 that Ian uh, read for us. We, we were in uh, the last bit of 2 Corinthians 4 last week and we, we move on to uh, these first 10 verses of uh, 2 Corinthians 5 uh, this week. Page 1160 uh, of the Church Bibles. 2 Corinthians 5, but uh, as you turn to that page, uh, let me encourage you to direct your uh, eyes to uh, a few verses before, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Therefore, we do not lose heart. That's the call of uh, these uh, verses that we're looking at. And yet, uh, I admit to you that even if it is in just a small way compared to what others experience and go through, it is 
and has been a struggle for us as a family in recent days to not feel somewhat lost of heart. It's come on us slowly in the weeks since the decision was made to move to Sydney. But in these recent weeks and days, the feeling of time wasting away, the feeling of, yes, the momentary nature of life and phases of life, the feeling of loss, leaving here, leaving this place, leaving our home, leaving you. It began with uh, telling uh, the kids uh, some weeks back. It was meant to be a fairly matter-of-fact affair, a statement made over a a Friday night meal together, but Finn saw the chink in Liz and my armour immediately and the tears flowed. It's been felt acutely in these past weeks as our house uh, has emptied, a whole life built up over six and three-quarter years, packed away piece by piece, uh, a life put in a box or in a skip. And now the feeling is rushing upon us uh, with a cavalcade of lasts. Last this, last that, last everything, and then goodbye. Life wastes away, momentary, uh, temporary. And my family is seeing uh, something of that uh, in these last days here. Uh, But even in this, even in that experience, I can see something of the Lord's kindness in giving us this taste of the reality of life and its temporary nature. A life outside of Eden, life this side of heaven is one long goodbye. And for each of us, there are tastes, aren't there, in life? That this life, uh, this life this side of heaven is brief and is marching on. For some, perhaps in, uh, just in these recent days, it is the, the moment as children leave home for the first time, off to university, off to life on their own, off to new adventures, or the end or the uh, looming end of a long career, or the loss of health that can't be regained, or the loss of uh, faculties, and of course the ultimate and final and undeniable loss, the loss that death brings When you get a taste of how fleeting life is, it is easy to lose heart, isn't it? Life this side of heaven is far shorter than we think. We saw it uh, uh, some months ago as a church family, James 4 verse 14. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a moment and then vanishes. Life is like the faintest of breaths breathed out on a sort of a Sheffield winter's morning. You see it in front of you and then it's gone. Isaiah 40 verse 6, all of us are like grass, our glory like the flowers of the field, the grass withers and the flowers fall. That's life. We bloom. Wow. Look at you. Wow. First day at school, first day at big school, first day at university, uh, your first job, your new job, the new house, your children, uh, a life filled with God-given colour and splendour and brilliance and beauty and then it's gone. And yet Paul's response in the face of all of this is this, therefore we do not lose heart. So tell me honestly, can you look at the uh, temporary nature of life? Can you look on even the reality of death and not lose heart? Uh, If so, how? How do you do it? I guess there's many tactics that we could use as human beings. We could use the the tactic of denial. Perhaps if I fill my life with enough distractions, uh, enough novelties, enough going on that I won't see the reality. 
Or we might try to delay it. Uh, endless health and fitness regimes, plans to de- defy the ageing of our bodies. I mean, after all, uh, 50 is the new 30. 80 is the new 60. But it's not. It's really not. Or perhaps delusion. Now, many religions will offer us this, perhaps flights of fancy like reincarnation. Perhaps I'll come back as a cow or a mouse or whatever it might be. And then there is the plain atheistic approach to it. Yes, I know the reality. I've, I've dealt with it. I live, I die, and then I'm worm food. That's it. Well, in our passage, Paul puts forward another way. It is the Christian way. Faith in the Christian gospel is what he offers us here, which he argues means that you can stare life this side of heaven in the face and even death and not lose heart. The gospel that he speaks of in these verses is wonderful because he is not speaking of an approach to life and even death based on denial of reality or even delaying the inevitable, nor is it an approach of some delusion of fantasy No, it is based wholly and completely on what we can know and know for sure. It is based on the truth of the gospel of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. What the gospel has declared, we know for sure. And because we know it, Paul will say to us in these verses, we do not lose heart. In fact, our hearts are filled, he'll say it twice, with courage. That's what we're going to see this morning, really two things. We see what we know, and because of what we know, we'll see that we are to be people who are full of courage in this life. Let's have a look, verses 1 to 5, we see what we know and know for sure. Have a look at verse 1. Now we know that if this earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. And Paul describes life, uh, this side of heaven, as like living in a tent. I'm not sure if you're much of a camper. You fancy yourself as a a camper. Uh, I'm not much of a camper. I think I was scarred by perhaps my first taste of camping. Uh, My first year of secondary school, I was in the Duke of Edinburgh scheme, and there we were off on our first camping weekend. And my job in our little group of five was I was to arrange the tent. I was to bring the tent along. And so I informed mum that this is what we needed to do. And so we went off to the uh, camping shop to, to rent a tent. And there was five of us, but we were at year seven. So mum's theory was we didn't need a five-man tent or perhaps a six-man tent. We'd, we'd do with a four-man tent. We weren't that big. We'd sort of squeeze together. It'd be fine. So we uh, hired this four-man tent. It very clearly said it on the bag, a four-man tent. So I was very proudly brought it along and said, I've, I've got the tent, I've done my job. And uh, we hiked the first day, got to the end of the first day and uh, pulled out the four-man tent, as it clearly said, on the outside bag. And as we took off the outside bag, very clearly all over the inside of the tent were the words, two-man tent. <laughs> and so for the next three nights, the five of us were very warm. <laughs> Tents. Uh, even when they're serving their purpose, are temporary. And there does come a time when you realise that living in a tent, especially a two-man, four-man tent, is a bit of a dud. Nowhere near as good as a real home. And Paul here is using the image to speak of our future as Christians, using the image of of a tent being torn down, being packed away at the end of a journey. He says, even if the tent is pulled down, there is a house waiting to replace it. 
And what a house. You see it there? There's nothing half measured about what's coming. It's going to be eternal. It's in heaven. It's protected there. It's not made by human hands. It's perfect. It won't perish. It won't spoil along the way. It won't fade. Now here's Paul's perspective of life this side of heaven. Death does not mean homelessness, he says. It is the loss of a shabby tent for the gain of an imperishable, unspoiled, unfading house. I reckon this is hard for us to get our minds around. Uh, To our eyes, this present life, this body and all we experience in life is solid and dependable. Whereas our heavenly future seems, well, hazy at best and insubstantial. But Paul says the opposite is true. It is this present life, this life which is a tent soon to go, soon to be replaced by a mansion. Now Paul uh, puts it another way. He turns to a second image in verse 2, the image of moving from nakedness to fully clothed. Now this image of uh, clothing is quite a common one in the New Testament, but here there's a twist on it. Usually Paul and other writers, they talk about taking off one set of clothes and putting on another, but here the picture is almost of uh, one set being put over on top of another, like an overcoat. And I think what Paul is trying to avoid here, because the gospel avoids it, is the moment when we would be naked in between changes, where we would be exposed. You know that feeling, that fear of uh, changing clothes and uh, being naked in between, especially in public? It's uh, one of my memories of, uh, of growing up in Australia, many uh, beach uh, adventures as a family and it's something uh, we as a family will experience again but that moment at the end of being at the beach where you need to get out of the swimmers and back into your clothes and you've got this elaborate ritual goes on where you try to sort of wrap a towel around yourself in such a way that you're still able to get changed at the same time and it usually involves you collapsing in a heap uh, on the sand uh, very undignified that is what Paul is trying to avoid there is nothing of that in our hope now, the Christian hope is not for a disembodiment post-death, but to be clothed with our glorious heavenly body. Paul longs for that change to be completely seamless. He says life now, it's like being naked. And nakedness scares us. It has since the fall from Eden. We are cold and vulnerable. But what we want is to be clothed, and not with temporary coverings, but the warmth and security of our heavenly dwelling. And the gospel says, for the one who has faith in Jesus, the experience of passing even through death is like being clothed. Do you see how he describes it? It's my favourite uh, verse in uh, this passage, verse four. The way he describes that process, he says, it's like this mortal life is swallowed up by real life. Death is swallowed up by eternal life. It just comes swarming at life. This little life that we have here is overtaken by what is to come. Every time I read that verse, the image that comes into my head is, uh, again, as a child, uh, going on a sort of a water slide, uh, a flume or whatever you call it here. And uh, with, my, with my dad, I was this tiny little weedy kid and my dad was uh, far more substantial uh, of weight and height. And so I started down this water slide and I'm scooting along and about halfway down, I sort of run out of puff. There just wasn't enough weight and gravity to carry me any further and uh, dad had sort of waited at the top and eventually he comes screaming around the corner at great pace given his weight and bang straight into me and we raced down to the bottom and sort of leapt off into the pool at the bottom of the slide 
That is the Christian hope. As life for us wastes away, as it comes to an end, as it slows down, as it inevitably will, real life, eternal life will come racing up and take over. Life being swamped by eternal life. This mortal age, this age, this side of heaven, the age of the fall being swallowed up by the new life, new creation forever. There is coming a day when your mortal breaking down body, your decaying, wasting away body will be swallowed up by the new resurrection body. It is the hope of Romans 8 and Philippians 3. We who come to Jesus by faith, we who share in his sufferings as we saw last week, we too will share in his resurrection. Take this in and let the resurrection thrill you again this morning. Let it not be some tired line that we trot out in a creed as we've just done. And because Jesus was raised from death, death for you has been utterly exhausted. It was wearied on the cross and it was triumphed over the tomb, at the tomb, empty tomb. Death has taken its best shot at your King Jesus, its best shot, and it lost. And no one, no one in all of history has beaten death. A death in our world, it's like a bully. It's like a strong man that comes and binds us one after another after another. We cannot stop it. The gospel is the news that Jesus, the one and the only one, has entered the strong man's house and he has broken open the bonds of death forever. It is as Peter says in Acts chapter 2, he says, God raised him from the dead, freeing him from death because it was impossible for death to hold this one down. He's free. And because he is, so are you. It's as 1 Corinthians 15 puts it, when the perishable puts on the imperishable, when the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying, death is swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? But we spoke at the start about knowing this and knowing it for sure. How can we know it? Well, have a look at verse 5. We know it because he has given us his spirit. Verse 5, it is God who has made us for this very purpose and has given us the spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. You see, what is to come for us, our hope of resurrection, of new creation, of tents turned to buildings, of nakedness clothed in splendour, that is the very heart of God's purpose for this universe and for you personally. This is no flight of fantasy. This is what God has been making you for. He has been working towards this purpose. He guarantees it by giving you his spirit. The spirit, we're told, verse 5, is a guarantee. How have we received this guarantee, this spirit? Well, if you look back through 2 Corinthians, we don't have time this morning, but you look back through chapters 1 and 2 and 3 and 4, Paul makes clear again and again that it is as he preaches the gospel, As he proclaims this hope, that that is the ministry of the Spirit in our hearts. It is, if you look at chapter 4, verse 6, as God shines the light of the gospel into dark human hearts, that the Spirit of God is coming in and, and taking over those hearts. God himself, by his Spirit, is breathing into us the word that brings life. The word that tells your heart that Jesus loved you and gave himself for you. The word that tells your heart that because God raised him from death, he will raise you also. 
When the gospel shines into our hearts, that news, when we see him for who he is, it is then that we see death and life in perspective. And we can know for sure that this hope is ours too. The Spirit guarantees our knowledge. And and more than that, the Spirit guarantees this age to come. It's, It's like this, he himself, the Spirit, is from that age. And God in his kindness has given us the Spirit as a foretaste pulling in from that next stage the spirit and putting him in our lives so that you can taste what's coming. And 2 Corinthians 5 says that when we are given this sure knowledge, when we have this taste, you see what it causes in us? Verses 2 and 4, it causes us to groan. When you've had a little taste, you want more. Uh, we groan, verse 4, under the burdens of life, this side of heaven, yes, But we grow not as those longing to escape life, but those who by the Spirit have a taste of what is to come and want more of life. It's the groaning of Romans 8, where we're told the whole of creation joins in that chorus of groaning, aching for our hope to be fulfilled so that the new creation can come. So let me ask you do you know this hope? Do you know it for sure? Does it make you groan and ache for what is to come? And so what is a heart, a heart that aches for such a hope, that knows it for sure? What's a heart like that like? Well, it's not a lost heart, that's for sure. Rather, and you see this in verses 6 and verse 8, it is a heart that is full of, well, it says they're confidence, but really the word is courage. That's what certain hope does for you. It sort of it reminds me of uh, the movie The Shawshank Redemption, the, the last scene in The Shawshank Redemption where Morgan Freeman's character, Red, is, he's got out of prison finally and he's, he's abandoned this little part-time job that he's got because his plan, his hope is to, to go down to Sehuataneo, Mexico and see his friend again. And so he gets on this bus and as he's on the bus, you can hear him saying, I'm, I find I'm so excited I can hardly hold still. It's the sort of excitement a free man feels at the beginning of a journey. That's what Christian hope is meant to do for us. If the sun, John 8 says, if the sun sets you free, you are free indeed, free in this life and forever, free and full of hope. And because of that, you are courageous. Verse 6 to 8, courageously, you are called to live for home. And verse 6, therefore, we are always courageous. And know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. And so we live by faith and not by sight. You know, there's two ways you can live this life. You can either live this life by the appearance of things. But appearances are so often wrong, aren't they? Even if you don't know anything about Christianity, you know how deceptive appearances can be. Or rather, you can live by faith, by trusting God and the word of his promise to you. And when you know it for sure, you can be courageous no matter the appearance of things. And so going back to Paul's image right at the start of our passage, verse 1, the tent. Let me ask you, how do you view your tent, this life now? This life that's soon to be packed away. Well, you do look after it, I assume. You look after it because it's the only one you've got. It's got to get you a fair way. So if a hole appears in the tent, you patch it up as best you can. But you must realise that this tent is not the goal. And someday you will get a home. But I reckon some of us uh, live as if we're in our homes now. 
as if heaven is nothing but just one big tent city. And we do everything to protect the castle of all we have in life this side of heaven now because we fear rather than courageous. We fear that all that awaits us is a two-man, four-man tent. And so often we get things backwards. We have so little stored up in the life to come. Our hope is in this meagre tent, this life. Our hope is in uh, the tent. And when, it, when the call comes, as we saw last week in chapter four, to give yourself over to death for Jesus' sake, you balk. Because I'm too busy propping up the tent. We'll never stop to pick up our cross and follow Christ along the way because it's all about the tent. And we'll be too easily satisfied because we think, wow, this earth is a good enough heaven. You will never heed the call to be given over to death unless you know and know for sure that there is something unimaginably glorious waiting for you. You read Paul's letters and here's what strikes you. He seems to talk about death a lot, but he's not morbid. It shapes him, it stirs him, it fills him with courage. And let me ask you, does the thought of life after death shape you? Or are you stuck? Still looking through the instruction manual about the tent. Obsessed with the trimming of the the fly sheet to maximise comfort and to keep the rain off. We must stop playing the game of life as if life this side of heaven is long and heaven is short. That's back to front. And so let me ask you, do you know and know for sure that your reward is yet to come? Do you know that you do not have to find all of life here and now? You don't have to get it all now. There's so much more coming. Let me ask, could anyone guess from looking at your life the way you spend your time and your money, your thoughts, the things that you love, the words that you use, could they guess that your hope is not now but to come? And would they draw the conclusion, wow, that person, that family, that church family must not be living for this earth. Their hope must be elsewhere. Or would they just think there is another one just like us living the dream in the camping ground? Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And so since we know, we courageously live for home. And verse 8, here's the best thing about the home that is to come. Do you see it there? Home is ultimately not about geography, is it? It's about relationship. Home for all of us is the open door into a place where you're welcome, where you belong, where you're expected. Well, take in the crown and the heart, the very essence of your hope as a Christian. You have a home, verse 8, with the Lord. Where he is in heaven is to you an open door, a room where you are expected, where you will be joyfully welcomed in. You see, what makes our hope as Christians so spectacularly good, so weighty and glorious is that he is there. I reckon too often when we explain the gospel to others, uh, we, we speak of Jesus as if he is to us a means to an end, the go-getter for us. Jesus gets me forgiveness. Jesus gets me eternal life. Jesus gets me a new body. Jesus gets me a, a house instead of a tent. But here in verse 8, Paul pushes to the heart of our gospel and says, Jesus gets me forgiveness or Jesus gets me eternal life. That's not the gospel. Jesus is the gospel. Now think on this. Why does it matter that you are forgiven? It matters because now you can be with him, the one who made you and loves you. Why does it matter that you will live forever? It matters because you'll be with him. 
It reminds me again of that last scene in the Shawshank Redemption. The thing that Red, the character, Morgan Freeman's character, was so excited about was this, I hope to see my friend and shake his hand. And if you've seen that movie, the, the great moment at the end is as he gets to the beach where, uh, where his friend is and they, and they reach each other and they embrace. I reckon for, for many years as a Christian, the thing that kept me fixed on the hope of heaven was seeing a friend of mine who died age 22 again, shaking his hand, hugging him. But the more I've got to know the Christian hope, this is what I realise now will happen. I will see him and he will say, come meet the king. That's our hope. So because we have this hope, we do not lose heart. Rather, we courageously live for home with him. And as we close, let's look at one last thing in verse nine. Not only do we courageously live for home, but we live for his pleasure. In knowing this hope, we don't lose heart. We have hearts filled with courage to live, verse nine, for his smile, his delight in us. We serve for his approval alone and no one else's. And so as we finish, let me ask this year, this life, who are you living it for? Whose approval matters to you most? Whose commendation, whose well done would make your efforts in this life worthwhile? Or or perhaps on the flip side, whose disapproval, whose disappointment would perhaps crush you? Parents or your children or colleagues or a church leader or maybe even your own standards. You can tell whose approval you seek by what you are ambitious for. So what's your ambition this year, this life? Be honest. Because whatever your ambitions are, Paul says, when you know this hope and know it for sure, and know it all the more as the Spirit of God teaches you through the gospel, the weighty goodness of the hope, it will change your ambitions. It will focus them, simplify them, So that whoever you are and wherever you are in life, whatever it involves for you, you have one simple ambition. I live to please the king. I remember my very first sermon at Bible college, feeling very nervous about it before before actually preaching. There I was going to be in the college chapel with all the other theological students who no doubt know all the ins and outs of the passage and ready to sort of rip my little sermon apart. And uh, the guy who was uh, helping me prepare the sermon, uh, Gibbo, he simply said this to me, remember you are speaking to an audience of one. Let me ask you, are you living that way? Do you courageously live for his pleasure alone? Knowing the hope we have, the eternal, weighty, glorious and deeply good hope that will be here any moment, knowing it for sure, we do not lose heart. Rather, with hearts that are full of courage, we live for home and the pleasure of the one who waits there to welcome us in. Well, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do thank, thank you so much that because of your son's mighty death and resurrection, this hope is ours and ours for sure. And so fill our hearts with this hope that we will not lose heart but rather with hearts of courage, live for that home and for your pleasure. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.